That's the gospel message right there, isn't it? Amen. Amen. It's good to hear that. Thank you so much. Well, you may have noticed I got new glasses, and they are so new that I haven't preached a sermon with them before, and they're so, so new, I'm not sure I can see. <laughs> I should have checked, should have checked that out a little bit closer. <laughs> so... How's everyone doing today? Good. <laughs> That's good to hear. Also, have a little bit of a cough, so I had a drop in my mouth. So I <laughs> got a lot of things going on here today. So anyway, uh, so glad to see you and so glad to be here to be able to preach God's word to you today. Uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 18 through 27. It's a section of scripture that we have uh, heard a sermon on before. I did a sermon similar to this about a year ago, but I, I believe it's uh, something that we need to hear rather frequently. And really uh, what caused me to want to talk about the marks of a true disciple, or my other title for this is our response to God's grace, is because for the last two weeks we have been talking about God's grace, whether you know it or not. We talked about two weeks ago about how we need to be born again and how that is a sovereign act of God and that when we are born again, it enables us to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into his family. So two aspects of God's grace, we are born into the kingdom of God, plus we are also adopted into his family. Aren't you thankful that we have been adopted into God's family? We can be called daughters and sons of God, and inherit everything that Christ has inherited. So it's just a wonderful uh, two examples of God's grace. Of course, we could go on with that list and talk about not only regeneration, which is God's causing us to be born again, and not only adoption, but we could also talk about some other big words like justification, which means uh, God has declared that we are no longer guilty for our sin. We could also talk about another act of God's grace, propitiation, by which the wrath of God has been averted away from us. And we could go on and on and talk about God's grace. But really what I wanted to talk about today is the marks of a true disciple and the subtitle, Our Response to God's Grace. God, having been so gracious to us and so kind to us, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to that? We ought to follow Jesus, right? We ought to follow Jesus and not halfway, but we should follow him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we ought to love Jesus above all else. And if we could do that, I wouldn't have to preach the rest of this sermon, but I want to preach the rest of this sermon because we need to learn how to follow Jesus so that we have a true, abiding, deep relationship with him. Jesus had many followers. You probably know that. If you've read the New Testament very much, you know that he had many followers. He had some who followed him for a while and then they turned back and stopped following him. Did you know that? And ultimately, all of them turned away from him when he went to the cross. 
But there was this group, and it's in Jack, uh, John chapter 6. You don't have to turn there, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a very telling story, and it's really applicable to what we see today in Christianity and we see in the church many times and, and those who are not in the church. But in John chapter 6, there was a crowd who was following Jesus. And they were following him because he had fed them the previous day. He had fed thousands of people. He had taken loaves of bread. He's taken fishes. And he had fed them. And so him and his disciples went over to the other side of, lake, of the lake. And the next morning, here comes a crowd. And Jesus gets into this confrontation with them. And he is really upset. He ends up being extremely upset with them because they're grumbling. They, where's the food? You know, and Jesus says, you only came because you wanted to see miracles and you wanted to come for the food and you didn't come for me. And really, this is what salvation is all about, right? It's not what God can provide for us materially, but it's how he satisfies everything that we need and he wants to have a deep relationship with us and so that's really the topic of this is how do we respond to God's grace we don't come to God just because he provides for us materially we don't come to God just because he entertains us or he performs a miracle we come to God because he himself is worthy of our praise and our adoration. Amen? Amen? He is worthy of that. So our scripture today is going to be in Luke chapter 9 verses 18. Uh, I happen to look, if you have a pew Bible, I think it's on page 867. And so if you have turned there and uh, can stand, we're going to go ahead and read God's word. We're going to read all the way through 18 to 27, but we're really going to focus on 23 to 27. So Let's go ahead and read God's word. It says, uh, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, this is speaking of Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chiefs, priests, chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loves loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son, the kingdom of God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your scripture and your word, and we understand it as being the very words of God. And so we take it very solemnly and seriously when we 
listen to these words and we want to understand what they say to us and we want to know how we can be obedient to your word. And we also pray that you would empower us to be obedient because we cannot do this in our own strength. And so we pray for your guidance. We pray for your help. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I heard someone preach on this one time and they said something. One good sermon title for this would be how to talk people out of following you. <laughs> because it seems so serious and it seems so austere sometimes. If we read it, I would, th I would say in the wrong way. But from a human perspective, it seems as though Jesus is trying to discourage people from following him. And I don't think he's doing that, but I do think that he is trying to speak to people and avoid what we would now these days call easy believism. And so easy believism is just someone preaching part of the gospel or preaching a prosperity gospel and asking people to believe in Jesus with some kind of a head knowledge, but it's not based in our heart. It's not based in a true commitment to Christ. And so some would preach, well, all you need to do is acknowledge that Jesus lived and you know, that he was a good person, that he was a, that he was a prophet, and if, it, if you believe in him, you will be okay. But what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, we're not, we're not talking about an easy believism. This belief in me is going to be costly to you. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't pay it all on the cross. He did pay it all on the cross. But there is a cost for following Jesus. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. We're talking about what it means to have a true, deep, abiding relationship in Christ. Jesus, I believe in this, is calling people away from a superficial faith or a superficial relationship in him to a total commitment to himself. He's asking us to be totally committed to him and in no ways retain anything that we are to do for our salvation. Although he does say that we are to follow him, right? He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, follow me and uh, you will know me in a deep, superficial way. Now, we have all been in super, superficial relationships, right? You know, probably most of our relationships are kind of superficial, and superficial just means you say, hi, how are you? You know, have you been doing? You may say some niceties, but you really don't get down into the deep aspects of a person's life. And really, we were created to be that way. We were created to not just have superficial relationships. We were created to have deep relationships. And I think that's one reason why Jesus refers to his relationship to the church as like a marriage, right? I mean, they don't come any deeper than a marriage-type relationship. And Jesus says that's how we are to relate to him. We're to relate to him as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to relate to God as his children. We're to relate in a very deep, personal way. And so to follow him means for the disciples during the time of Jesus, it meant that he, they physically had to follow him around. I say had to, <laughs> as though that were a great blessing. 
but it was a great blessing. But they were to follow him physically. They were to understand and learn his teachings and put those teachings into practice. For us, I think to have a deep relationship with Christ, it means to learn his ways and to do and be obedient to his ways. This is how we experience God, right? This is how we experience God. We read in the word of God what we're supposed to do. And we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are obedient to that. And we grow in our faith because we are to live by faith. We are to step out in faith. And that means doing, doing new things. And when we see God bless that kind of work, then we grow in our relationship with God. James 1.22, it says, for us, it says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. God isn't just giving us stuff to do for the sake of having stuff to do. He's doing it so that we can enjoy a deep relationship with him, that we can see that he is faithful when we are obedient to follow his word. And so we ask ourselves this question today, you know, are you a hearer of the word only? You know, are you a person who comes to services like this, you hear the word of God, and then when you leave this building, you leave the teachings as well? We should not be that way. And I'm not saying that this church is that way. I, I don't believe that. But are you committed to doing his word as well? When we do that, we can experience that deep relationship. And so it's very clear in this section of scripture that Paul, that Jesus, excuse me, Jesus is calling us to a deep relationship. Now this morning in Sunday school, we talked about we needed to have a faith as if, as if we were a little child, right? <laughs> and so we enter into a relationship with God through a very simple faith, a very sincere faith, a very trusting faith. But nowhere does it say that we are supposed to stay infants, but we are to mature in our walk with Christ. And so those who truly want to be a disciple of Christ well, I think we'll accept what Jesus has to say in the scripture that we just read about being a disciple. And make no mistake, anyone who truly believes in Jesus Christ has become a disciple, right? There's not two different categories of believers. The believers who uh, believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and rose from the dead and the ones who really believe that and do the work, you know, there's not two separate aspects of this we are all to be disciples of jesus christ in the mold that he outlines here so those who truly want to be a disciple of christ will accept the conditions that he puts forth i think here in the scripture and the first one if you're following your outline and have your handout is that if anyone would come after jesus he must deny himself and put god's will first amen, amen. he must deny himself and put god's will first now, this seems like a very challenging thing, and I think it is a challenging thing. But it may seem like something that's not really desirable. I mean, you're saying I must deny everything in my life in order to follow Jesus Christ? And someone once said that this type of denial means that you are denying your place in the gutter for a palace in heaven. If you understand it that way, deny doesn't sound so bad, right? 
I mean, the gutter or the ditches alongside the road were the places where all of the trash went. Even uh, when I went to Indonesia, they have a different, let's say, sanitary system than what we do. Our sanitary system is buried underneath the ground. In Indonesia, where I was at, there were gutters, literally gutters, where everything flowed. The rain flowed, the trash flowed, the sewage flowed. We are denying our lives in the gutter in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a place in heaven with him. And so our lives, we all know we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our lives are like these gutters, and we think that we are making ourselves happy when we choose a way different than God, but we know from the Bible and from just life experience, it always leads to despair, doesn't it? It always leads to despair when we choose to go our own way. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son wanted what? He wanted his inheritance. He wanted it ahead of time, even before his father had died. And so his father gave him his inheritance, and he went out and he spent it on everything that would bring him pleasure. But ultimately, he was in poverty and was eating with the pigs in the gutter, right? That's really each and every one of us before we come to Christ. We're trying to satisfy ourselves with the things of the world rather than the things of God. And God says, I created you that you would be satisfied with me and me alone. And so when we deny ourselves, we're denying ourselves that old life full of sin and we turn toward God and we put him first. And this seems like a drastic step, but let me read some other scriptures that that Jesus spoke, and, and I think it will give you a, a better idea of what he's talking about. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, that sounds pretty, that's a big commitment, right? <laughs> and he's, he's using hyperbole here he's not actually saying to hate your family but he's saying my love your love for me should be so great that it is as though you hated your family members and your commitment to me and dan i remember dan in sunday, in sunday school i think you said something about god came first and then your wife you know and that's true right in a you know in in our lives and Robin's shaking her head. She understands that. She understands that in Dan's life, God is first. Dan understands in Robin's life that God is first. And that's the way it should be. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, yes, we have these other commitments to family, and we should be committed to our family. But your commitment to me should be above your family, even your own life. Jesus goes on, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And so I picture I picture the arch over at St. Louis. <laughs> I don't remember when that was built, but I've heard stories of how it was built. Of course, they had to start 
at the bases and meet up at the top. But can you imagine if they had not planned enough materials and money and expense and labor and everything to finish? It would be rather than a monument that we look up to and revere and go and visit, it would be a mockery. And Jesus is saying our Christian life can be that, could be that same way. If we start out without counting this cost, then we can be like someone building a tower and didn't plan enough to finish it. When we commit ourselves to, to Christ, we are committing for our entire life, right? We are, we are committing ourselves to follow through for our whole life. Now, once again, I want to make it clear. Salvation is a free gift. But there's something about that gift that if we understand it properly, it will motivate us for our whole life to follow him. Jesus went on and said, he said, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And once again, we see this renouncing, and maybe sometimes we think of, well, I have to give up all the good things in my life in order to be his disciple. And in a sense, that is true. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, obey the commandments. And he said, I've done all of that. And he said, well, take all your riches and give to the poor and come and follow me. And he wasn't willing to do that. And the question is, well, why don't we give all of our wealth? Well, in a sense, we do. When we come to Christ, we, we must relinquish everything. We may not physically take it out of the bank account and give it to the church at that time, but there must be a willingness in our life to surrender all of that to Christ. Amen? That's, that's true, right? And so you might ask, well, how in the world am I supposed to have this kind of faith? Well, let's recognize that in Christ you are a new creation. Let's look on the other side. In Christ, when you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and because we talked about the new birth, when you become a Christian, you are a new creation. You are a new person. The old has passed away. The gutter experience has passed away. The new life has come. We have new capabilities. We are able to say no to sin, and we are able to say yes to God. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul himself, he worded this, this way, this commitment that we're talking about. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to notice something about that verse. First of all, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul, who wrote this, is saying, my old life has died. It's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ now is going to live through me. And look at the reason why he's able to do this. I'm able to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave myself for me. That's our great motivating factor. 
the love that God has for us. We love him because he first loved us and gave himself up for us. Amen. And that's why we can do this. That's why we can do this and live this life, denying ourselves, living only for Christ, is through the power of Christ and the great love that he has for us. He says this pretty, pretty well in the following verses. Luke, we've been looking at Luke 9, 23, but verses 24, 25, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And it, he's very clear about this, is that if we try to save our life on this side of eternity, we're just going to end up losing it when we die. And we're not only going to lose our life, but we're going to spend eternity away from God in a place called hell. And so, on the other hand, he said, whoever loses his life in this life, on this side of eternity, will save his life. And so, as we give our life to Christ and fully commit ourselves to him, that is when we gain our eternal life. I wrote down here, I said, don't continue to love this life and live for it. Rather, live for the new life you have in Christ, will to result in eternal life. The disciple of Christ loved Jesus more than his old life and willingly denies it. It's a matter of surrender. We surrender it all to Jesus Christ. Secondly, if anyone would come after Jesus, he must take up his cross daily and be prepared to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Once again, if you look at this in a negative aspect, it can seem like, I've got to sacrifice all this just to follow Christ. But let me give you an example of that sacrifice. S'mores and more. Everyone who helped with s'mores and more made some kind of a sacrifice. Some made a sacrifice of their time. Some made a sacrifice of their food. Some made a sacrifice of gasoline, taking the hay wagon around and Kyle provided the hay wagon. There was a sacrifice that made. But were we not blessed beyond measure at what we did yesterday and the people we got to meet and the good time we, we, we had with meeting people, inviting them to church? And so it's no sacrifice at all to give away the old things of the world for the kingdom of God where we're going to be able to enjoy one another's fellowship forever. And it doesn't have to wait till eternity. It can start right now. I mean, the relationships that we have together right now are a blessing. Amen. Sometimes they can be superficial. <laughs> Sometimes they could be a little bit deeper. We need to work on that. But they are a blessing to us. Jesus made a great sacrifice. He left his heavenly home in order to come and live his life in this dusty earth and gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross. I put down here from earlier, the cross being that Jesus carried would have been about 100 pounds. He carried it about a quarter of a mile after beatings, uh, which were many. And so what does it mean for us to take up a cross? First of all, it means that 
we're, go we're going to be in opposition with the world. We've probably already seen that somewhat. Paul said, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We, we are already as a church being persecuted for just doing things that are good, right? <laughs> Not using foul language or being kind to people. Many times it's very true what the Bible said, what has been considered bad is now good and what used to be considered good is now bad and we can be persecuted for that. So carrying our cross means that we are going to come against opposition at time. We're gonna endure sometimes suffering in relationships. But to take up your cross daily means to be willing to be opposed. It means willing to be ashamed or to suffer and to die for the sake of Jesus. And we do this because Christ is a greater treasure than the approval of all men, right? You know, to have Christ is a treasure that's greater than the approval of any man. Jesus at once, I can't remember, I think it's Matthew 13 or Mark 13, but there's a parable of the pearl of great price. That's Jesus, right? That's our salvation in Jesus. And there's a person who finds this pearl of great price and he goes and I believe it's this one that he hides it in the field and then he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to buy that field. That's how we are with Jesus. He is such a valuable thing to us that we are willing to sell everything to go and buy that field so that we can have that pearl of great price. Thirdly, if anyone would come after Jesus, he must follow Jesus and his ways. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering and sacrifice for Jesus' sake and for the glory and for his honor. It's really the narrow way that's spoken of in the Gospels. It's a life of also fishing for men. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, of course, we know this means ladies as well. But each of us in following Jesus are, be, are, are to be like he was, a fisher of men. In other words, we're to share this good news of Jesus Christ with them so that they too can receive him as Lord and Savior. Luke 9.26, and our scripture here today says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Those who are ashamed of Jesus' words now, Jesus will be ashamed of when judgment comes. Not always easy for a preacher to say those things, but this is the scripture. We need not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Although being hung on a cross was a, was a thing of shame during that time, right? Mm -hmm. And he was hung on the cross without any clothes on. And so he took the shame for us so that we do not have to be ashamed of his words. So anyone who would come after Jesus, he must follow Jesus and his ways. Finally, the disciples' reward is to see the kingdom of God. <laughs> now, such a simple sentence. Amen. But do you get the gravity of that? <laughs> 
The disciples' reward is to see, to experience the kingdom of God. I had the opportunity, I think it was the last sermon, we delved a little bit into the book of Revelation, and we got to see in chapter 21 a little bit of the description of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that would descend from heaven, which represents our home. Gold everywhere, streets of gold, crystal, precious jewels. You know, it's, it's going to be amazing. And it's gonna, we're going to be able to be with Jesus and talk to him and experience an even deeper relationship with him. Amen. And Jesus says, I, in this verse, he says, I tell you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death, but see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God did come when the Holy Spirit came and the church was birthed, but that's only the beginning, folks. <laughs> you know, it's coming in its fullness one of these days, and we do not want to be left out of that. And so kind of closing the same way that our Sunday school class closed, what does, it to what does total surrender in my life look like? What does it look like for me to totally surrender my life to Christ? That's the question that we need to be asking ourselves. And let, let me read a scripture that tells you a little bit about what that looks like as well. And it may be a surprising verse to you. But Jesus said this about coming to him as well. And so we have to, we have to understand both his call to discipleship and his call to rest. So Jesus said these words too. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Both those verses are true, right? Both the ones in Luke that where he calls us to not deny ourselves and take, our, take up our cross daily and follow him, and this verse which has come to him, and he will give you rest. And you might say, well, how can that be? Well, he gives us rest because he has done everything on the cross that we need for salvation, Amen. right? He's done everything that we need for salvation. He has paid the price fully for not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin in our life and eventually to deliver us into the presence of heaven. And so, yes, we are to deny ourselves. We deny ourselves the drama of sin in our life for the greater, joyful, abundant life in Christ. Have you ever seen someone's life that is just full of the drama of sin and back and forth and arguing and, and going on? And, and he says, deny yourself that. No longer think about yourself, but think about others and think and experience this greater, joyful, abundant life in Christ. Be willing to sacrifice so that you will have treasure in heaven. We've talked about this many times before. Why build up for ourselves treasure on earth when they are just going to rust and they are going to be destroyed? Rather, we should be building up for ourselves treasure in heaven. In other words, develop deep relationships with people who are going to survive and share Christ with them so that we can have that relationship throughout all eternity. And then follow Jesus so that you know, know the joy 
of leading others to Christ. I don't know if everyone here has had that opportunity to lead someone to Christ, to share the good news of what Jesus did and what he do for us. He, he came to this earth. He was a son of God. He lived without sin. And he went to a cross and he died on that cross for our sin, paid the price for our sin. We had sinned against God and we were distant from God. We could not have a relationship, but Jesus came and he died on the cross, paying the penalty for those sins so that when we believe and trust in him, our sins can be forgiven and we can be reconciled with God. And that, that's a wonderful offer that he offers anyone here today is to come to know God through believing and trusting in Christ. But I want everyone to experience sharing that message with someone else and leading them to Christ. And it is a, it is a tremendous feeling. And uh, it makes following Christ all the more worth it. And so, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth the sacrifice? Yes. He will provide everything that we need and he will satisfy us in all ways. And so don't, don't turn to things of the world, but turn toward Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had. We thank you for your words, even though sometimes they seem harsh and they seem demanding, and they are demanding, that's, that's for sure. But it's also a reminder to us that you paid the price for our salvation, but we must surely count the costs for following you so that we make it to the end and persevere in our faith in Christ. So we pray that you would help us to do that today. Pray that if there's one here today who doesn't know Christ, that they would surrender their lives to him today and help us have such a sense of joy of our salvation that this week we will share the good news of Christ with someone to, uh, and, and give them the opportunity to know Christ as well. Be with us during our time of invitation. I pray that if anyone has a need, that they would feel free to come forward and pray or to pray where they are at and talk to me later about that. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.